The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. We'd like to go to John chapter 1, and we'll pick up in verse 29. We'll read verse 29 through verse 34, but we want to focus on verse 29, because there's no better theme in all the Word of God than to behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb, and that's what we hope the Lord will bless us to do this evening. John chapter 1 and verse 29. The next day, John, seeing Jesus coming, <clears throat> coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man that is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore am I come baptizing with water. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and an abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he sent me to baptize with water. The same said unto me, on whom upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. We uh, referenced a couple weeks ago in speaking about John the Baptist, uh, about possibly some of the interactions that they had as, as big cousins and younger kids. Um, but we had not got to these verses yet, and these really stood out to me in reading uh, through this. It says twice in verse 31 and in verse 33 that John declares, I knew him not, which is very interesting because it appears, uh, I guess it's possible that they had no physical interactions for 30 years. But you would think with the way that they got together, on at least on feast days and things yeah. like that, that they had interactions. And then you think about John the Baptist his his soul wept, uh, not not wept. He leapt in uh, his mother's womb for joy, and Elizabeth knew that the mother of my Lord has come unto me. So his mom knew that this is the Messiah, and in his soul he leapt for joy while he was in the womb of his mother. But yet at the same time, he did not understand apparently that this was the Messiah until that day when the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove, which is a very interesting point to, uh, to make as we don't want to spend much time on this, but there's a significant difference between the, the knowledge and if you want to use these terms, not to split hairs, but if you want to use the terms of faith and belief in the soul as opposed to faith and belief in your head, right? I mean, John the Baptist knew Jesus Christ in his soul before he even had the ability to, to talk and to think cognitively in the way we do outside the womb. But yet he, he interacted with him as a man for 30 years, and he did not understand that this was the Messiah. Uh, this, uh, and many people... Uh, it takes a, quite a while for their head to catch up to their heart, right? right uh, they, they know Christ in their heart, but many of them can't reconcile it correctly in their head. <clears throat> but the apostle, uh, or John the Baptist here, had the blessed privilege of 
seeing that Holy Ghost descend upon him as the form of a dove, certifying that this was the man that I uh, am a forerunner for, that I am paving the way for. And he had the blessed privilege in verse 29, the next day John, seeing Jesus coming unto him, said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb. And this evening we want to just give you a very brief overview. Each one of these sections of Scripture could be a message all in and of itself. But the theme of not just the entire Bible, but the theme of all of eternity is the Lamb. Okay, mm-hmm. The focus of all of eternity is the Lamb. Amen. From Genesis to Revelation, we see the picture of the Lamb. And then after this world is wrapped up and folded up like a napkin and the Lord comes back and burns it all up, the focus for all of eternity is on the worship of the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. And that's our blessed privilege to worship Him. I mean, it's a, I'm, I'm so thankful for the way that God set up His kingdom and set up His church, the simplistic way in which we worship, because we have the privilege to worship the Lamb in the same way that we will be worshiping the Lamb in heaven for all of eternity, right? You know, there's not going to be a a praise band in heaven, right? There's not going to be faith healers. There's not going to be all of these shenanigans that happens in a lot of Christianity. You'll know what it's going to be. It's going to be the elect throng of God singing, worthy is the Lamb for all of eternity. That's heaven. (laughs) That's heaven. And that's our privilege to sing that same song here in the kingdom of heaven as well. So we want to go to the book of Genesis all the way back to the fall. And uh, we'll just begin here in Genesis chapter 3. And we know that man sinned, Adam and Eve partook of the uh, forbidden fruit. And then God delivers a curse upon them. And it does not directly say here, here in verse 21 it says, after he delivers them, uh, the, the various curses uh, upon them as well as upon the serpent. And it says that the Lord made them coats of skins and clothed them. Now, it does not directly say that that skin was made out of a lamb, but I think it's a pretty good assumption that it was a lamb, yeah. okay? If you'll just bear with me. Uh, that there was blood that was shed. I want you to understand this is the the original sin that that polluted the 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 federal head was polluted and now all the rest of the posterity of adam is polluted right after that right after that i love the the uh silver lining of the gospel that's even right here in genesis chapter three that even after the fall of man say uh the lord reminds satan that this is a prophecy of the lamb as well in verse 15 that her seed the seed of the woman is going to bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel, right? That's pointing toward the lamb that would stomp the head of the dragon, of the serpent. And after that sin, the Lord made coats of them, which there is a covering for their sin. They they previously were naked and not ashamed, but now sin has come into into the world, and they are ashamed. So there's a covering that needs to happen because of shame. And what was God's? means of covering up their sin, means of covering up that that shame. It was to clothe them with skins. And again, it does not directly say a lamb, 
but I think we can easily presume that that was the blood of a lamb that was shed to cover them by those skins after the fall. And then in the next chapter, we have Abel. We have Abel coming and bringing an offering before the Lord. Abel is a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, this is Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3, in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord, but Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock. Remember, he's a keeper of the sheep, right? So the firstling of his flock is this little bitty lamb. And he brings that lamb before the Lord. And then conclusion of verse 4, the Lord had respect unto Abel, right? Because Abel presented that by faith. Abel was a child of God and, and he made that offering in faith. But also he had respect to his offering. Right. Well, what was the offering? It was a lamb, right? It was a lamb. And then, of course, we know the unfortunate circumstance of, of Cain then slaying his brother um, out, of, out of jealousy. So let's go to uh, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, we have the promised son Isaac that is now a uh, young man. At least he's, he's old enough to be able to uh, be strong enough to carry wood up a mountain. Right. So, uh, you know, I always envision him being a 13-year-old boy right here. He may not be, but he's definitely old enough to uh, help his dad out with this offering. And he knows there's something missing from this. Behold, verse 7, Genesis 22, Behold the fire and the wood, but notice where is the lamb for a burnt offering. He knew not just that we make sacrifices, but he knew that we offer lambs in worship, right? The lamb was to be offered in worship. And he knew there was something that was missing. Where is the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. And yes, later on here, he sees a ram caught in a thicket. And right when he's about to, to slay Isaac, he's stopped by the angel. And then you have this picture of substitution that, the, that this ram goes in the stead of, of Isaac. But notice he says here, God will provide himself a lamb. Now this is pointing toward, obviously, the Lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. But notice the language, God will provide himself. The Lamb will be God, right? And that's, again, the whole premise of the Gospel of John is that the Lamb is the Son of God. Amen. This Lamb is God manifest in the flesh. And God will provide himself a Lamb as a substitute for his people. And praise God, that's what Christ did on the cross. Now we go to uh, the, the Passover, the original Passover. Exodus chapter 12. And uh, God's people have been in bondage for hundreds of years. And now the, the final last play, the final last straw of the slaying of the firstborn will be the, the straw that finally uh, breaks the stubborn will of Pharaoh. And he says on this night, in preparation for this, Exodus chapter 12, <clears throat> beginning in verse 3. In the tenth day of this month thou shalt take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for a lamb, let him take his neighbor uh, next unto them. Verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish, without blemish, a male of the first year, 
And you shall take it out from the sheep and from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And thou shalt take the blood, take the blood of this lamb, and strike it on the two side posts and on the upper door post, and then wherein they shall eat of it. So we have this blood of the lamb that is put in the form of a cross, right? And then when this angel sees the blood, it was the, it was the blood of the lamb that was the reason why those houses were passed over. And if uh, an Israelite wasn't paying attention or if they were being lazy, uh, now understand this didn't happen because, you know, this is a picture of eternal security, right? We're covered by the blood of the lamb uh, and all of God's children, none of them are going to be lost. But if one of those uh, Israelites happened to be in a house that evening, in theory, that, that did not have the blood of the lamb, that, that angel of judgment would slay their firstborn as well. What was the protection? What was the protection? It was the blood of the lamb, again, in this beautiful picture of the cross on the doorpost of the Israelites and God's people there in Goshen. But it wasn't solely because they were a natural-born Israelite that that angel passed over them. It was because they were represented and covered in the blood of the lamb. There was a lamb for a house, you see. That lamb represented everyone that was in that house. And the reason why judgment was passed over of God's people here in Goshen was because of the blood of the lamb that covered them and was applied to them, right? And then they were commanded to to be reminded of this, to to partake of this Passover on an annual basis, to be reminded of God's amazing deliverance of his God of, of his people out of bondage and the destruction of the enemies of the people of God. And Jesus Christ, we, we find this in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and in verse 7, that Christ is our Passover, right? He is, he is our Pascal lamb, that his blood was shed and applied to the mercy seat, applied to uh, the judgment room of God that, that now, by his blood being sprinkled on the mercy seat, the blood of the lamb being sprinkled on the eternal mercy seat, now judgment is passed over for all of God's people. Again, pointing toward so many of these things. Um, the Day of Atonement, there was not a, a lamb that was offered. There were bullocks and there were goats. But it's a similar kind of structure. There was, uh, there was blood of animals that was shed pointing toward the culmination of that in Jesus Christ as the lamb. They had daily offerings, daily offerings, a offering in the morning in the Jewish third hour about 9 a.m. and then in the Jewish ninth hour that's about 3 p.m. And every day, every single day, there was an offering of a lamb of the first year and had to be without blemish. Every single day, there was a reminder of the necessity of the shedding of the blood of the lamb because of the sins of the people, right? Every single day, there was a reminder of that. And as you well know, it's those same time periods from the third hour to the ninth hour, from 
9 a.m. to 3 p.m. is the exact time period that Jesus Christ was on the cross, right? And then, then at the same time that over there in the temple, there was this little bitty lamb without blemish of the first year that was being sacrificed uh, over at the temple was at the same time that Christ cried out, it is finished and gave up the ghost, right? Oh, that's just... All of this is just such beautiful imagery, right? I'd love to uh, just do about a 10-series message on this. Uh, it's all just so beautiful, beautiful pictures. That, but, but understand, the, the whole Old Testament, the daily sacrifices, the, the annual Day of Atonement, it was all pointing toward the necessity of these sacrifices are not sufficient because we have to keep making them every day and every year, right. right? They are pointing toward the Lamb of God that was without blemish that was offered once, that went in the holy place once to make that sacrifice for sin. The, the, I don't think these Old Testament, I, I think these Old Testament folks were probably just like the people in Jesus' life and ministry, those apostles who he told them things, uh, you know, dozens of times and they still didn't get it. I don't think there were too many people that really got probably in those all those years of observing the Passover, I think that they probably looked they probably looked back instead of forward. I guess you put it right. I'll put it like that. They looked back toward the deliverance from Egypt. But I think there may have been a few people. Maybe Aaron, you know, maybe the Lord gave Aaron a little bit of, of more knowledge, maybe, to understand there's something that's more significant. That's happening here. That's pointing us toward the Messiah that's coming. You know, Abraham had a little bit of that understanding on Mount Moriah when Jesus says in the Gospels, and later on in the Gospel of John, that Abraham saw my day and he rejoiced. Well, where did he see it? Now, he probably uh, he saw Jesus Christ, I believe, in person there on the plains of Mamre. But I believe he especially saw Jesus's day. There on Mount Moriah, when the, when God said, you know, why, why did why did Abraham have the confidence to say that God will provide Himself a lamb? God told him that, right? He didn't just come up with that out of abstract. God laid that on his heart that God will provide Himself a lamb. And I don't know how much those those folks understood in the Old Testament, but I'll tell you, Abraham got a got the gospel in miniature <laughs> there on Mount Moriah and I think he got a good bit of it. Yeah. Now now he didn't understand it the way that we understand it, but he saw the day of the Lamb. Mm -hmm. He saw the day of the Lamb there on Mount Moriah. So this Lamb that was that was deemed to be pure enough without blemish to be sacrificed for the sins of the people, there had to be some examination of this lamb to ensure that it was a fit sacrifice. You know, we find a little bit later on in the history of the Old Testament, the Lord addresses this in Malachi, that you're bringing to me the halt and the lame you, you're bringing things for sacrifices to me that do not meet the standards of 
purity and perfection, you're giving me the leftovers. You're giving me the, the second tier offerings. But this lamb was supposed to be inspected. That's right. And if it was with, with blemish, then it was not a qualified offering for the sins of the people. And Jesus, all throughout his ministry, but especially on that last evening before his crucifixion, he was constantly being tested and proven to be the lamb that was fit to be without blemish for to be offered to, to take away the sins of his people. And in those four, especially those four trials on that last night, those kangaroo courts where they brought people and just suborned men to, to perjure themselves and to lie. You understand, right, that every single one of those things, Pilate reached the conclusion that I find no fault in him. He declared, he declared, Pilate declared the lamb was at, without blemish, right? Now, he, he succumbed to the political pressure to crucify him. He wanted to... to uh, Join, uh, to gain uh, political currency. But Pilate declared, he was tested, right? He was tried. And even Pilate declared that the lamb was without blemish. He was proven to be a worthy sacrifice. In uh, Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Which is, which is I mean, uh, it's difficult for us to hold our tongue, uh, to not defend ourselves, and most of the time we're at least partly in the wrong anyway. Right. But Jesus was perfect. <laughs> Jesus was perfect. But yet he held his tongue. Because if he did open his mouth in the fullness of his glory, uh, we wouldn't have been born because this world would have been eviscerated right then. <laughs> but he was a lamb led to the slaughter. And he humbly submitted. He humbly submitted to the offering of himself okay that's an important point that yes the lamb was offered yes there was a hedge of protection that was removed that allowed men to do certain things to him but it was not them that killed the lamb the lamb was offered now, he gave up his life men didn't take it from him <clears throat> Let's highlight um, 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> beginning in verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last days for you. The precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And again, he was proven and tested to be without blemish and without spot 
a suitable sacrifice. Now, most of the Old Testament is, is pointing toward the coming of the Messiah. It's pointing toward the Lamb. And then John had the privilege during his ministry to say, the Lamb's here. Behold, the Lamb, the lamb is here. And, and then after Jesus went back up into heaven, now the message is the Lamb is coming back, right? The Lamb will return. Let's go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. And I love this picture here of Christ as both the lion and the lamb. And I love the the delicacy with which C.S. Lewis wrote his Chronicles of Narnia. And Aslan, who sacrifices himself... It turns into a lamb as he sacrifices himself for the man, but then he he returns as that as that roaring lion, right? I love that beautiful picture that C.S. Lewis weaved into the Chronicles of Narnia of the lion and the lamb. Revelation chapter five, <clears throat> and he uh, is seeing this vision into the throne room of God, and there is a. A book, which is a scroll sealed with seven seals, and when we say when we say a book, it's not a book that we have that we open up. It's a it's a scroll that is rolled up to a certain uh, portion, and then a seal is put on that. So as each one of these seven seals are removed, a longer portion of that scroll is now able to be read. And it's my understanding that this is a scroll, a book of church history. So each of these seals that are unloosed, you see a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And then finally, when you get to that last seal being released, that last seal being loosed, it's the last era of the history of the church kingdom. And that final last seal is concluded by the return of the Lamb. Okay, But he sees this scroll here and he wept much because no one there in heaven was worthy To take of that scroll. I wept much. He says that in verse 4. But then one of the elders, one of the elders in verse 5 says, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. He is the, the sovereign, omnipotent controller of not just all of human history, but all of church history. I love this beautiful picture here in the book of Revelation. You have all these enemies of the, the kingdom and the, the enemies of the church and the Lord suffers them at least a little bit of leeway to be able to do that. But even when he, especially there in Revelation 17 where you see the, the beast getting influence and authority, you see there that the only reason that that is happening is because the Lord is allowing it to happen. He's in total control yes. of the unveiling of all of church history and all of world history. The Lamb is in total sovereign because He's the one who has the authority Amen. to not just hold the book, but to loose the seals. So He's the one that's in control. He has the authority to open the book and to loose the seals as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. <clears throat> and I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne. So remember, He. He, he's introduced here as the lion, right? The lion of the tribe of Jude. But what does he see? Does he see a lion? Instead, he sees a lamb as it had been slain. 
seven heads, uh, seven horns and seven eyes, seven spirits of God that came upon all the earth. And then he he comes and he takes the book out of the right hand. Now, um, that's God that's on the throne right there. So uh, if someone has the audacity to come up and take the scroll out of the hand of the one that's sitting on the throne, they better have the rightful access to do that, right? Right. (laughs) And he does. He does. Because if they didn't, no doubt, they would be struck dead in a moment. But he had the boldness to come and take that book. Why? Because he is God, right? He is the Son of God. God manifest in the flesh. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts... And the 24 elders, which in some way depict the elect family of God. Because thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us. Us. Those those four beasts and 24 elders are figurative of those that have been redeemed. Out of every nation, kindred, people, and tongue. They're figurative of the elect. So then, what does the elect do? Thou art worthy to take the book. You've made us kings and priests. Verse 10. Then verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them. Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him. But excuse me, that sitteth upon the throne unto the Lamb forever and ever. You see, that's the theme of heaven. That's the theme of heaven. Is worthy is the Lamb. I want to highlight quickly, and I would encourage you to go and just do a quick search uh, in the book of Revelation of all of the references and the usage to the Lamb in Revelation. And you will... You will be blessed and edified by reading every one of those references to the Lamb. We find here in Revelation chapter 7 another picture and glimpse into the elect family of God. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man can number, of all nations and kindred and people and tongues, stood before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. They, they cried in verse 10, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne. And unto the Lamb, right? Worthy is the Lamb. And let's go ahead and skip down to uh, verse 17, verse, verse 16 first. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat, nor, <clears throat> nor any heat. For the Lamb, which is in the midst of the, sh- of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them into living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And I believe that we can easily put the lamb there in that last in that last phrase. The lamb will wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now, what, what's going to be so special about the lamb wiping, wiping away those tears is because he has shed those same tears as he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin, yeah. right? He shed tears over the loss of loved ones. He shed tears over sin and wickedness and, and seeing the, the degradation of this world. And he's seen people fall away and have his own heart broken over that. He's been betrayed by people that are close to him. Yeah. The lamb will 
intimately wipe away all of our tears because he knows those tears because he is our faithful and great high priest. We'll conclude in Revelation chapter 19. Again, I would encourage you to search all the references to the Lamb in the the book of Revelation. But this is the culmination. This, uh, This is the culmination of all of human history, of all of redemptive history. This is the culmination. Um, You know, the Lamb, Jesus Christ, has been bragging on His bride for all of eternity. But those angels have always been very confused. (laughs) Because the angels see us as we are right now, right? We, We have to go minister to them and get them out of the messes they keep getting themselves in, right? That's the role of the angels, and they can only see our, see uh, the elect in our fallen state right now with all of our mistakes and all of our messes. But the Lord, through the lens of that eternal covenant that we find there in Romans chapter 8, He views His bride as already glorified. <coughs> So he's been telling those angels for all of eternity about the beauty of his bride. And those angels are saying, these folks, are you sure about that? These guys are who you went down to to, uh, shed your precious blood for? That's why the angels have been confused for all. They they desire to look into these things. They desire to look into the gospel because it doesn't make any sense to them. But finally, though, now at this time, the bride is ready. The bride is finally in all its perfection and glorification that that the Lamb has been telling heaven about for all of eternity. And now the marriage supper of the Lamb is coming. The bride is is in all of her perfection. That, That last child of God has been born again, right? And then there's nothing else to... To wait on and now Jesus Christ returns and brings the bride back to him and then you, you have this in the book of Revelation you have this anticipation building in heaven right every every seal that's loosed every uh, every event that's happening that's getting toward the culmination of all things in that seventh seal you have this anticipation building in heaven and then finally there's an announcement it, it, Jesus says, he, uh, you have this, this picture of the Jewish wedding ceremony and the, and the, the husband goes back to the house of the father uh, to, to build a, a house for his bride uh, on the, on the uh, side of the father's house. And it's the father that decides when that house is ready and he's the one who tells the son, all right, go get your bride. Well, finally, finally the, the father tells the son, all right, the house is ready, the bride is ready. Go get her, right? Go get her. Arise, my love, and come away. We're finally, winter's over. The winter of this world is finally over. The bride is finally coming back home. And heaven is getting excited. Heaven has had this anticipation building for all of eternity. And they they know it's getting close. And then you have this announcement. Announcement. Verse 7. Revelation 19. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his wife hath made herself ready, for to her it was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Right blessed are they uh, that are called into the marriage, marriage supper of the Lamb. 
And then we have this picture of the Lamb who returns in his, all of His triumphant glory and destroys all the enemies that His bride has had to deal with during our time here on earth. He, he destroys and he casts into the lake of fire the dragon and the beast and the false prophet. And then we are ushered into the, the beautiful picture of the, the new heavens and the new earth. There, there's, no, uh, there's no sun or moon there because the Lamb is the light thereof. It, the, the Lamb is, it has provided this fountain of living water, this pure water that we partake of there that, that stems from Him and flows from Him. And He is the, the sustainer and the central focus of everything in heaven and in earth. <laughs> Especially in the new heavens and the new earth, but for the people of God, He should be our sole focus here on earth as well. Amen. Now, he, he, the, the worship of the Lamb is the, is the theme of all of eternity. It's the theme of heaven. And I'll tell you what people are not saying in heaven. They're not saying, I sure am glad I accepted Jesus. I sure am glad some preacher got to me. I sure am glad they had enough fundraisers to, to uh, make enough money so somebody could go on a mission trip to add a more soul, uh, one more soul to heaven. You want to know the theme of heaven? It's worthy is the Lamb, right? Behold the Lamb of God that not taketh away the sin of the world, but took away the sin of the world by the sacrifice of his own. And that will be our blessed privilege to worship the Lamb for all of eternity. Oh, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Amen. (laughs) You know, I I see a lot of things in the Bible that seem to be the precursors for the second coming of the Lord. You know, if I'm around when the man of sin is revealed, it's going to be a difficult time. Mm -hmm. Oh, but I feel like, at least when I'm up in the Spirit, that I would be willing to endure those tribulations just for that moment and the twinkling of an eye. Now, it's going to be great to be resurrected too, but there's part of me that, that says, Lord, boy, I'd love to see you coming, right? I'd love to see the Lamb coming back. And, and be transfigured and to be changed and to be glorified. That is the culmination of everything that the Father, the Lamb, and the Holy Spirit covenanted before the world began. This is the culmination of all things. Is so shall we ever be with the Lamb. Amen. And worship Him in all of eternity. Lord Jesus, come quickly. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.